0: Welcome to Airwave. Airwave is a conversation hosted by me, Morgan Page, where music and technology converge to tell the stories behind the artists and the architects of creativity and technology. Radio is where I first discovered electronic music in the countryside of Vermont, and music and technology provided the path forward. Airwave is an exploration of how people make their art and how technology plays an essential role in the process. The show is largely conversational, but doesn't shy away from going deep and technical in the process. All right, so my guest this week on Airwave is Luca Prelosi. He is a world-renowned mixing and mastering engineer. He's done huge records like Mi Gente for J Balvin, big tracks for Diplo, Steve Aoki, and many others. He even makes his own plugins. So we're gonna go super deep into the process, the technical details, his workflow, how he approaches his day, and much more. And we did this during the quarantine lockdown. So it felt very timely to get this out right now. So enjoy, this is Airwave with Morgan Page. Airwave is brought to you by RME Audio. Innovative, user-friendly, and high-quality digital audio solutions, RME offers a comprehensive range of audio interfaces, converters, and mic preamps, all based around its unique and innovative core technologies. Multi-platform connectivity across Windows and Mac OS and iOS class compliance has earned RME a global reputation for providing support to all users on all platforms. Visit rme-usa.com to learn more.
1: Being Vegas, the entire Las Vegas Boulevard—it's like that. That right now, like literally, shut down every club, every casino, every everything's off. My worry is if we get too close to the summer, they're gonna skip the summer. They're gonna—they're right. not gonna take a risk to book a million dollars like lineup of DJ for the season. You know what I mean? Like it—it get to the point that also all the executives—they're like working from home or like detached. No one is taking an initiative to make. An accept the decision. Yeah, let's book for June. Let I think this... I don't want to be negative, especially my message now online and everything is just uplifting. Like, let's make music. Right. But between us, like, on in the industry, like, on the business side, it's uh, not really for people like myself or maybe you, but, like, well, you is going to be affected from live shows, uh, I'm sure.
0: Well, isn't the timing crazy, too? Because I feel like Vegas really corrected with chaos... Yeah. I mean I you have chaos imploding before all this. I mean, you couldn't ask for like a worse domino effect. But I think, you know, it was a trend that was it was overdue. I think the the boom of EDM went further than a lot of people expected. Uh that before? kind of growth. Because you can't just be like doubling and tripling the growth every year. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, really true. But uh but I think there's it's interesting now. I'm curious what's gonna persist and last. Like is it gonna uh are people going to do more live concerts? Are you changing the way you work with Studio DMI? I mean, you have a lot of remote collaborations that you would do anyways, and remote seminars. Is it going to change anything in a long-term way?
1: Yes, actually, yes. So the, I was in the middle. I mean, actually, I was right on the edge to travel the first date of my award uh, tour. Uh, and then I pulled the plug, of course, like a week before. It was like a 12 dates between Paris, Amsterdam, and Colombia. all that. So what we're going to do, we're going to convert this on the online version of that and uh, plan on working on six, like breaking down my actual physical workshop in six different episodes and everyone will touch a portion of my curriculum. And uh, I'm going to pr- probably going to do high quality streaming using audio movers and then uh, do a Zoom um, interactive uh, uh, streaming. So what's going to happen? I'm going to do one hour and 20 minutes where everyone is with me. I'm going to have a host next to me kind of like moderating and taking questions and going over uh, constant ideas in a very extended Q&A at the end. Um, try to make more personal. I'm going to do this in a limited edition where I'm not going to have like a limited number of people, just like maybe 20 and just like do it almost being in a class together. The the what what happened right now I feel in a positive way is people are focused there's less distraction like just focus on that I, I encourage you to stay away from news. I think right. there's like right. such a negative effect of be have a passive um, negative um, kind of like input that you 're getting <laughs> like it, almost like be exposed to noise for a long time, you get tired. I think being exposed to that you 're going to get really uh, tired so what i do myself right now i try to force myself to have a routine for example where i i get information for a source that i trust one time a day done for the day and the rest i stay in a very tight routine which is physical i want to take care of my body i want to eat right i want to make sure that i don't panic in a way that i'm not going to change based on this i try to I try to focus on myself and be have a discipline in place, which is very important. Right.
0: Cause I think it is so easy to just refresh the news and just be scrolling, 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 and you're not really getting a lot of useful information. I think you can only do what you is in your control to stay sane. Exactly. So but I think it's so interesting. Like, I mean, we've had this renaissance of learning and you've seen this huge rise in music education. Yeah. But now people are at home. You know, they're probably making more splice packs than ever. And I think Splice sure, right. is kind of pledged to do more. I mean, this <laughs> is the time to make sample packs. I was, uh, what's it? Edx's guy Christian Hurt was doing some crazy packs. He's never had the right. time to do it. Right, it produces under so many monikers. But this is the time, man.
1: The interesting part is, I kind of find myself doing the same things where before I was jumping between mixes and mixes and do a lot of work. Now I kind of like take care about my desk. I like I organize my presets. I, I kind of like. It's interesting. Like part of me, feels like, okay, how I can use this additional time that I'm not going to spend hanging around the city or do anything to just make my future life better. So I, I kind of like, I think I'm doing a good job on that. That what I'm missing is as far as the social life is the fact that I'm spending usually in this building, majority of my life. And it we are social animals, so right. you know we 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 feel good when we are together, and now, just be by myself or like with Scott that I see across the eyes, say, hey, "How are you doing it 's just weird, and so I try to be close to my friends or or people that work with me more on a, on a personal level, so how are you doing you know how things your life like and for me, being an italian <clears throat> um, I have an additional stress of like Follow friends and family in uh, in a country that is being, you know, it's like devastated right now. So
0: yeah, to just like hey. yeah, to get that routine, I find it crazy hard. With uh, you know, there's no daycare, so I have a 19 month old daughter, 19 month old daughter, and she's just you know, it's full time. There's not much time left to work on to do the work. Yeah. But I think it's so key to get the work done to make use of every minute that you have i mean i think some people don't know to do them with themselves they're used to working in a typical workplace that's true Uh, i know here it's interesting like my studio is still the same garage studio still attached just removed enough from the house there's a little bit of work balance you know work-life separation but man
1: we want to talk about gear or (laughs)
0: like we can there's all kinds of stuff i want to talk about um well you know, since this is a, a podcast and long form, we can go as deep and as detailed as you want. That's awesome. Uh, because that's the beauty of it. And you know what I love with podcasts is it can't get taken down like a music mixture. I
1: love it. Man. I love it. I agree. So cool. And
0: that's the biggest problem. Even when these live broadcasts we're seeing, they'll at least Facebook will mute a section of the stream for right. whatever copyright infringement there is. But uh, other ones, YouTube takes the whole thing down. So it's true. just talk, baby. You can't take my voice down. <laughs> <laughs> so, especially on Spotify too, because they will take down music podcasts even on Spotify now. It's true, right? Isn't that crazy? But um, okay, so I want to like start from the beginning. Uh, tell me how you got into all this at an early age. I and mean, you've been doing this forever. Where did, where did, where did this start?
1: Yeah, it's uh, well, I'm, I'm old, so I can talk for days. But so interesting, right now, I always say that I'm, that's my second life. Um, there's things I want to share with everyone, with everyone right now that <clears throat> as a concern of age versus career, that absolutely doesn't matter anymore. And I'm, I proved this myself. So everything that pre- probably people know about myself, my work, or, the company that I'm part of, everything started, literally started in 2012. So, 2012, my second life, where everything, Grammy nomination, all that, like we do 600 mixes a year, something crazy stuff, happening, started in 2012. So, <clears throat> I relocated from Italy um, in early 2000, 2002, to Vegas. Um, I was involved in music. Well, first of all, one step back, when I was very young, 17, 18, 19, I did three years as a proper recording school. I learned how to be a recording engineer, a mixing engineer. Um, I went so deep, but then I never really apply it till late. So it's one of those things you have the knowledge, but then I became a producer, and I, in, the, in my country, the dance scene exploded in the mid-90s, equal to North America in 2012, like 2013. Right. Like, we had a moment where dance music was making <clears throat> money and just being like, was the thing? So <clears throat> I was involved in that in different ways. Be an artist myself, producer, help other people, I was doing that. Then <clears throat> all this scene in Europe kind of fades at the end of the 90s. And I lost a little bit of inspiration and I was not sure what to do other than, of course, my, my passion, my dedication and love for music and, and and literally what I do, which is mixing and mastering. Relocating to Vegas, I think I find myself in the center of the, ca- or the new capital of dance music, being here, offering something that no one was focusing back then, which is the post-production work of music. So. <clears throat> Amazing producers, a lot of talents, a lot of good ideas, but <clears throat> everyone was focusing on produce and perform. Produce and perform. Me being older, I was focusing on being the guy backstage and help everyone to have the best possible quality music out and improve. That can be a few percentage based on <clears throat> an excellent producer. <clears throat> to do a creative mixing work with somebody that's like a raw talent but needs the technical knowledge that I had. So then my focus shift to be, okay, I'll be your partner behind the scene to help you, first of all, to be on schedule, with your releases. A lot of touring artists, they on the road 250 days a year It's really, really hard to commit on release day. And then for me, it was like, so let's, be, let's build a communication, <clears throat> let's start talking the same language where you take the song at the point that you can and I'll take over and I'll make sure they retain that standard. No matter what, if your song is suffering because you're doing a collab with another producer, is making some sound design decisions that is affecting the overall track, well, I'll take it and I'll try to do my, my best. To elevate the quality and make sure that we raise the bar and we keep the bar at that level. So in 2011, I was helping <clears throat> friends. Uh, I don't think they're keep producing anymore, Name Peace 3D. And mm-hmm. back then, <clears throat> oh, yeah. They did, yeah. So <clears throat> interesting, they, through a friend, they played music for me as a like, man. I think Afrojack liked my stuff. And we tried to go to DMAC. And I said, guys, you need to have a better mixing. Like, your mix is not on point, and I want to I wanna help you guys. And I did. And then they released a remix <clears throat> on Dimac, and, um and Steve was like, what's going on? Why your stuff sound that good? And then from that point, I was in touch with Steve they were still in the phase of growing. It was not Steve Elke the superstar yet, but it was getting there. <clears throat> and then DMAC was just starting to become an actual label. And I started to help Steve Elkey. Um, then from that point, uh, I had a similar scenario where I got an e- email from Diploy saying, Hey, I heard you're doing pretty good mixing and mastering job. Like, um, are you down to, to check my stuff? So I find myself on a span of maybe nine months to be involved in a lot of big record without a strategy. It was not like, hey, those songs are going to be a hit. And, <clears throat> you know, no, it was like, it's, it's a moment. It was like momentum. Like, I want to put out stuff. And I was like, okay, I think I can help you. And I was very transparent and honest. Like never being like a salesman, like, hey, you know, please give me a chance. It was more like, I can generally feel... That I can help you to touch few things on your mix, not reinvent your mix. My point was like I'm not a mix engineer from the 80s. I'm not C L A, you know, Tony Maserati, where I'm taking your song, I pull the fader down, and I do my job. It's more like I'm a, I'm a modern engineer, where like I'm taking what you up to. We have a conversation. Can be a detached myself from the song and have the technical ability. To touch two, three things and make the song the way it goes, or have an artistic vision just based on mixing and mastering <clears throat> and take the song to that level. So it was a case by case scenario. It went really well. So at that point, I, had a, I did the first album for Steve. We had a Grammy nomination, like Dance Album of the Year. At that moment, it was like album number two of Major Laser full of hits like <clears throat> it was the album was just like such a new fresh vibe a new fresh approach on production it was probably the first album where it was a, a pure blending of style in one project like dance all mixed with like edm mixed with hip-hop with everything so for me it was <clears throat> so much fun i was able to just and diplo credits to him He was probably the the first one that he understood my role as a mixing master engineer more on the creative side. And he said, All right, we'll give you what we have, take it from there, and just go for it. And that was a lot of fun. And then during this process, we started to build Studio DMI as a a company because at the beginning, it was me mixing, getting kind of overwhelmed, but enjoying the process. <clears throat> i apologize i have a little bit of allergy and uh, in the studios of dry dry air just not, not the virus going. Through. not the virus man
0: <clears throat> so when yeah. these artists approach you are they they looking to divide the energy up a little bit because uh it seems like the hardest thing is people managing their bandwidth of mm. their daily life they're wearing so many different hats now they have to be making tiktok videos being present on all these platforms and then they hear the song too many times i mean that's kind of when they call you in
1: that's true. Uh, one thing also interesting, I see a development between 2012 let's say 2015-16 mentality and now is actually change. So, <clears throat> interesting, 2012 and 13, the concern was for North American producer was, damn, the European stuff sounds really loud. <clears throat> Sound, how you can get that loud? You know, like what, that was the thing. And I was kind of like my journey. <clears throat> started with the, the Italian electro scene, like back then the Crookers and the uh, Congo Rock and Bloody Beater, all yeah. the stuff was really loud and we had a formula on that, so and and, and initially it was like we want to compete, the, at the beginning it was all about, I want to compete like loudness, uh, with loudness we like, I want to have the punch that some, the Dutch record had back then um, then <clears throat> the transition became more exactly what you mentioned, more like now I'm touring, now I'm busy. <clears throat> I want to maximize uh, my time. It's too expensive for me to sit in the studio to try to mix my song for like two weeks and not having to get a good result. Right, so, working backwards. Exactly, exactly right. So that was like, the, the, right now, what I feel is, especially in the last year, it became more like, I want to make sure that my music has, by default, a super pro sound. um, And then I don't want to invest too much time. I want to just focus on writing. Now there is, to me, a lot of needs of quality writing, uh, where a lot of producer concern is I need to have super, super solid, strong songs and I don't want to have a concern about the final post production of my song. I want to focus to actually get hits. So in my point is like I'm not worried about making the hits. I'm worried about make sure if you have a potential hit, I'm gonna put my expertise to bring the best possible version of your own version, if it makes yeah. sense.
0: And so, when you hear these mixes where you think they could be improved, or what, what's jumping out at you is it a lack of loudness or balance, or what's what's the most obvious thing?
1: So far, uh, it's crazy, and I keep telling a lot of producers, is don't, don't, don't um, for loudness. A lot of producer they're they're jeopardizing. They like they make decision just to achieve loudness on a rough mix. They're compromising so many things during the mix just to get louder. And I say, guys, I mean, we're we at minus 14 a last now on, on Spotify. I understand you want, to have, you want to have a loud master for your shows. I understand that. But don't come to the... And, and because for me, to achieve loudness and retain dynamics, I have a routine. And also I'm lucky because doing this every day, <clears throat> a record a day pretty much, I'm able to... Learn, apply, learn and apply. When you're a producer, you're mixing what you're producing. So if you make a lot of songs, you make 40 songs in a year, you mix 40 records. I made 40 records in over a month, so I'm more exposed. So what I always recommend is don't push yourself to compromise your drum, your transient, and use distortion everywhere just because you want to get to minus four uh, RMS. Don't worry for now. Just give an honest balance, don't worry about the loudness, I'll take care of it. Um, So uh, the struggle sometimes is to make a a pro-sounding vocal, that's across the board, a lot of people they struggle, because even a dance track and then the A and B with a big pop song is like, man, my vocal doesn't sound as pro as the pop song, so I want to have a dance song with a pop vocal pro-sounding Uh, process vocal so that's the struggle number one two is i want to get my track loud but then when when i got the rough mix i got a rough mix that is so loud and i can't even understand so most of the time i find myself to say send me a rough don't worry about the level for now so that's kind of like another one is i can put like the number three on the chart is try to get so wide that now is not wide anymore
0: right Makes sense? <laughs> it's just mush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like... Mm. Yeah, it's so weird and what translates and like what elements have to be narrow, like the base. You know, the weirdest thing I've run into lately is I'm doing these collaborations where guys are... They have OTT on everything, which is fine. It's great. Maybe they're doing a parallel blend on it so it's not overboard. But yeah. everything is peaking like like mm. 8 dB over zero in Ableton on every bus. And it's hard to work back from that and, and keep the vibe too. So you're kind of like, hmm, do you leave it? Just do you redline the to headline, you know, or do you, you step it all down, you lose the feels, but you've got to regain that. Yeah. And so there's that issue, which is interesting, sort of like you don't want to make more work for yourself with the collaboration. And then the other thing I noticed is I'll be playing a mix out, uh, be road testing it live and a song that sounds Loud, and you're pushing it in the studio. Actually, can sound quieter out. It just doesn't sound as full. It's like this weird balance of it's not just uh, like the luffs is only really one part of it, right? Like it's a yeah. guideline. But if you hit that target, that doesn't mean everything's great and it's balanced, right? Like yeah. it's just it's it's a very rough guideline for you to follow.
1: Yeah, I have it? a <clears throat> I have a theory uh, that actually I'm applying this theory is it's perceived loudness based on frequency response. So. If you have a lot of 1K, 2K, 3K... Let's say 1K to 6K area that has a certain perceived loudness in a proper compression, you're going to feel, if you don't look your last meter or like your RMS peak relationship, just as a perceive, if you compress the mid-range and then you expand, that's like... This is the core of my workshop, essentially. If I treat music where... I, I, in some way, I want to explain in few words. So if I'm able to, uh, if I'm able to bring the mid range in front and have the mid range that is steady and then take the bottom, the first two octave on the, on, on the bottom and the top. Uh, two octave on the top and make them do the opposite expansion on the top and the bottom compression, the mid range. Now what I'm getting is the presence of the mid range, that really affect perceived loudness, even on Spotify. We did some tests. If I do this on Spotify, equal level, the Spotify will allow me to have, wow, your track is louder. No, it's louder on the right spot. So the mid range, the bottom at right. the top, Expansion on the bottom and the top allow me to feel a track that is not overly compressed. Normally, if you take a multiband and you compress heavily the bottom and the top, the track has no movement. So, the top transient, which is the snare, the ride, um, the open hiats, everything that the steps, everything is like a short transient. If you compress, you have no movement or dynamic range, and over time, feels Like, it's piercing my ears. It's like, it's getting kind of annoying because it's become one frequency. If I'm able to retain movement on the top, movement on the bottom, now I get a perceived pleasant movement and groove the way I want to perceive the music. Now, if I compress the mid-range a little bit, now I'm getting best of both worlds. The typical effect of 90s and 80s uh, mixes that sound so quiet today, it was not caused only about peak RMS relationship, it was caused by stylistic approach. The stylistic approach on the 80s, the 90s, especially the 80s, or quality music from the late 70s, like Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, a lot of those records have a little bit of smiley face because right. it was a trend back then. A trend back then that you have in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s, you have a hi fi system that the loudness button, the famous loudness button, there was just like a bump, almost like a back CQ, a bump on the bottom and the top. So, modern sounding mixing can translate on loud, perceived mixes if you are really good about understanding how you want to translate
0: I think it's Sorry, so interesting that the point you said in one of your videos earlier, was so interesting about tempo, the perception of tempo and the high-end transients. is so yeah. interesting because I even noticed that DJing at different venues, songs will feel slower. Uh, depending on yeah. what the sound is like in the room, it'll sound two or three BPM slower. And I'm going, what is going on? Even that's yeah. where the pool parties too. Maybe the way the acoustics are hitting the room, uh, maybe it's the speakers are blown out. But that uh, you know audio is all an illusion you just you 're shaping illusions that 's your job you 're the expert uh, illusionist with audio I agree. I know, you know about
1: uh, Morgan about <clears throat> the perceived slow effect is always caused by slow release time and compression, and the perfect example on nightclub system or festival system is especially a nightclub system that has been calibrated from a tech guy that it was doing this for like 30 years it's still calibrating with a like slow release time on, on, on the limiter to make sure that they don't blow the speakers that makes the music slow so what it does mm-hmm. you hit the limiter and then the limiter the moment then there's a breakdown it starts to go away and then hits slam again and then stay it's almost like try to use like a, a compressor like release all the way slow you're gonna feel like a slow release time and then affect the transient and the envelopes the envelopes essentially when you enhance transient you enhance the groove and the song sounds faster if you slow down essentially is release time
0: it's so interesting to me because when i'm Mm -hmm. road testing songs every system sounds so different like every club and i'm guessing that they're just going through the typical chain of you know your music's going through an additional compressor and limiter Just even to the monitors, to the mains, to the main house system, uh, where you, you know, it's like the breakdown suddenly gets super loud. Uh, It's so interesting because, you know, if you're squashing your mix, it's going to go through another couple of stages of getting squashed once again. But it seems like the only way around that is to really have a balanced mix where you've got that slope. I mean, is that something you try to aim for is, is a balanced spectral slope and not have any big octave holes in it
1: i do i do morgan actually yeah and Another things i try to make sure that i don't squash the side information like sometimes i feel a lot of producers they they risk to don't see music the way it is so if you think about it <clears throat> if i if you if you put reverb the reverb is pure out of phase information so you have a vocal <clears throat> it's some indifference some everything phase Difference everything out of phase. You bring the reverb out of phase, and you start to constantly make wider, wider, wider. This means you're bringing out of phase information up. Now you go over limiting compression, and you go now on excess nightclub that is constantly running with four dB of limiting. Now you now you squeeze and squash the side even more, and now become unnatural. Now you have mm-hmm. the lead vocal being. With a cloud on top of this out-of-phase river.
0: Yeah, it's crazy that, and then all, all the basic stuff of just getting back to yeah phase in general. That you know, you mix in two tracks by the same producer, and he's using the same kick. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Like, <laughs> that's. It, thankfully, it doesn't happen too much now. But I've noticed that with some producers, where they're using the same t- same template, and it's like, oh wow, the kick drum is gone and. Just EQing stuff may not even fix it that much. It'll still be out of phase in the mids and the tops. Uh, God, there's so much that is revealed. It's like a magnifying glass. Everything's amplified live. I mean, it's just like when you're mixing and mastering stuff, every flaw is is amplified to a new level. Do Very you do true. a lot of stuff where you go in? I mean, you're are you trying to open up bandwidth and uh, in the mix whenever possible? Like you're you're obviously filtering stuff. You're watching for little spikes. Are you just managing voltage, or how do you approach it?
1: Um, well, the so I've, I have a I have, so I have a routine <clears throat> here during you talk about during the the mix and mastering. Yeah, phase. yeah. <clears throat> so usually, what I do, I prep the mix, and I, the first things I do, I try to listen as a listener, and I take I take notes myself, and I try to do really really quick when I don't know the song yet. When I go on a technical and I start to analyze the track, I look key first. I absolutely want to look for the key of the track. And if it's a critical key, it, if it's a track on C, it's a trap track, I need to have a conversation yeah. <laughs> with the producer.
0: Come on, Transpose, man. <laughs> give him a capo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, and I and I I'm I'm literally try to make sure what I can do to not over um, complicate things at the beginning. Especially that's another thing. Recently, I'm going from more a minimalistic approach in what I do. If I find myself to have a chain of seven plugins, eight plugins, to achieve something on a track, there is something that I can do better to avoid that. So, and then I usually what I do, for example, I copy and paste the track twice and I try different approach on processing the same element in different ways. Um, back to the phase uh, concern is when I deal with steering formations, I try to understand if there's been damage in some way from sound designing, and if something I can do, and there's always based on relationship with the producer, to go back one step before and say, hey, if you have a uh, silent that has internal distortion, if you have serum, you're using distortion and compression after that, use an EQ There's no linear phase and compression again, how are you doing? I'm asking questions to understand. And, and then in a lot of cases, the easiest way for me is like, okay, do you like what you have? Great, let's use this as a reference. Let's rebuild that in a proper way. So I'm asked to send me totally dry uh, stem, and I'm going to literally rebuild using different tools in a different way to, ma- to retain this vision, but then achieve a more clean and more like proper you know, um, translation of his idea.
0: Do you ever have guys go back and regain stage their synths and stuff so they have some headroom or do you just, you request stems giving mm. like, like 10 dB of headroom or something crazy? I do. Sometimes
1: I still receive 4416 16 um, stems and I ask to please send me, if they can, 32-bit floating files. That way I can rebuild uh, dynamics if I need. Um, that's a problem. Sometimes over clipping takes away the edge of the, of the transient and I can rebuild it. So sometimes I do, yeah. I ask, gain staging is a big deal, especially on synth. I find that a lot of producers, they use like three or four layers of synth to create one synth, which is fine. Right. But then right. those three layers individually, they're phasing each other because they're using three or four different EQ. They, they do a phase shift. Then when they blend in one bus and they process the bus, They're actually enhancing the issues of each individual uh, layer, so in that case, I'm asking, hey, send me the individual layer separate. Let me do some treatment, and uh, most of the time, I'm able to get again a clean version with the same vision.
0: So you're seeing guys, you're seeing phase issues from people overstacking their plugins too, that are not like delay compensated properly. So there's there's phasing issues.
1: Yeah. For example, the typical one, if you use uh, Saturn. Uh, from fab filter in in um, oversampling mode so hd mode and then you parallel out of phase entirely like, huh. you, yeah so and if you stack with another layer on the same octave that's a different processing now you're really gonna feel it so <clears throat> i use ssl x phase uh, which is a plugin very simple hmm. from, from ssl that allow me to change the phase by feeling. So what I do, I literally, for example, on kick drum, sometimes I receive one kick stem that's been made by three or four kick drum. I don't have the luxury to go back and and separate those those kicks. I use uh, X phase from SSL. And I do a short loop on the attack, on the middle and, and the tail of the kick. And between those, I kinda like move and I find when when I feel to give you a feeling of in phase, when I feel the low end now is going between my two speakers. Instead of going like this, it goes like this. So yeah.
0: So you're independently juggling the timing of those the those three components? Yeah. Yeah, So interesting. Yeah, I think it's so tricky with the plug-in management. It can be hard, especially if, if people are really driving these waveforms hard where you can't even see where the phase is starting, if it's going up or down sometimes. It's another yeah, reason actually. to gain stage it properly, right?
1: Yep. Uh, now we a lot of use of 808s and, and kick, which is... Let me tell this, uh, Morgan. To me, it's always funny because I'm old enough. When you say, yeah, I have the kick and I have an 808. Well, the 808, <laughs> was a drum, it's a drum machine. Man, it's, You know what I mean? We, it's funny. We call the 808 now be like a long kick, like a sub. Right. We call it 808, but 808 is actually a drum machine that has a kick drum that you can make a very long decay. And so now we call 808 the bass. But that relationship between the kick and the 808 is creating so many issues because people that are, they try so hard to make this 808, to cut through the mix so big, that they're fighting, the 808 is fighting with the entire mix. Yeah. So one of my main concerns, I do a lot of trap pop or like trap stuff. I mean, not, right now the 808 is being used everywhere on, on pop music. So it's related to everything is to have not distorted 808 where the edges is not become like a square wave, but remain a sine wave. A lot of people, they push the 808 to become literally a square wave where there's not much to do. So sometimes I ask, man, send me the dry 808 and let me reprocess. And I find myself that as far as sidechaining with 808s, it's way better to work on automation and copy as a sidechain effect than trust the compressor. Because the kick relationship, when you have attack of the kick, decay, and 808 start, if I'm able to precisely design that with my automation on my DAW, and then copy and paste, or bounce in place, I can trust that more to have, over time, a compressor react from sidechain.
0: Right, and you don't even know, like I know in Ableton, a lot of guys don't realize this, but if you're not sending a MIDI trigger to the sidechain plugins, uh, and you're adding, usually it's UAD plugins, or ones that are adding more latency, yeah. your sidechain will be off by like an eighth note. It's huge.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. <clears throat> in my case that I have an hybrid setup, I work with analog gear and, and plugin at the same time. I really don't want to even have a doubt. I want to trust 100% and to do it, it's automation. That's like, no doubt, it's going to be
0: fine. I remember a while ago you were telling me, I think it's really cool what you do with like standard clip, these plugins, like you're yeah. you're like an, a real innovator with clipping and knowing how to use it in the right way. Good clipping. And you were saying some of these ways, you're, you're losing base if you're clipping stuff. How do you, how do you approach it uh, using clippings so you're not losing stuff, you're not, so you're not making too much of a compromise? And how do you, how do you make the, the 808s cut through without having to just filter everything? That's a good question. <clears throat> so mostly right now, I try
1: to stay away from one clipper dealing with a lot of information. I like to use multiple clipper Spread across my bus. I have a bussing system that I use that it's a template and I know that every song that I do It's kick, bus, low percussion, high percussion, bass, sing low, sing high effects and vocal. That's my go-to Some of my mixes. Now if I spread clipping across the board, minus vocals, minus synth, I'm able to get a less Heavy loading of clipping on one single plugin. So, right. for example, what I usually do is relationship between kick and bass. Let's say it's three dB difference between the 808 or the bass of the sin- sine wave and the kick. Then the three dB difference. Sometimes I feel that the kick is the only um, transient that's going out of. What is my um, my range? So if and if I'm able to clip the top of the mountain, not shave, not limiting. I don't want to do this. I literally want to just like this. And if I do on linear phase mode with standard clip, maybe 16 times oversampling. And if I do on mid side, if I have more information, let's say I have a kick. That is mono, but then I have low percussions, which is to me low percussion are one kilohertz down. So clap, snare, rimshot, tom, all that is low percussion. In my bus, I feel that the sum of those low percussion it give me uh, all, like transient that I they're pleasing, but they're taking too much edge room. Now, if I clip those a little bit, I'm able to retain the vibe and in the movement, the groove, but Again, gain some room. My concern is if I have reverb or things go on stereo on the on the low percussion groove, uh, if I work on mid side clipping, I'm able to clip the mid, not clip the side at all. Right. That's again give me mm-hmm. a perception. So to me, now is the game is spread clipping across the buses, try to stay away from clip the side, and <clears throat> In case of my uh, master bus, if I, I want to get louder, has to be a clipper at the beginning of the chain all the time to kind of say, okay, I reduce my crest factor. So if my track goes like this, if I only go like this, I might gonna have less problem. I can get louder. Now, if I do multi-stage clipping and limiting, I'm able to massage my sound and just go up little by little. Instead of like... Uh, trying to achieve 7 dB of clipping and hoping that is not changing the envelope, create distortion, clip the side.
0: Yeah, I love that concept. And yeah, it was really eye-opening in your video where it was, you know, just push it up so that you shave off the peak, uh, yeah. and you're not messing with the sound, but it's just, it's voltage that you're temporarily reducing. Just that very top bit, because it's yeah. funny how you can A, B stuff, and it'll sound just as good. It probably sounds even better with the clipper on, yeah. and it's, it's not perfect. it's not taking up all this room on the bus. It's like, da- you're almost managing voltage or data. You're kind of compressing it a little bit in a way where I, th- I it, think it's such it, an interesting way to approach it,
1: because... <clears throat> sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just saying that that the... You know, it's an emotional decision. Like we're trying to get the maximum emotion with the minimal uh, (coughs) amount of voltage. Uh, I think there's a book called Mixing with Your Mind.
1: And even if you go back in like in the the 50s, 60s, 70s, radio station, everything was dealing with voltage even back then. And and, and now it's more like a stylistic and technical approach. But for example, one of the biggest mistakes that I see now, especially with um, Spotify, the people, especially the major label, they try to force you to do an actual minus 14 laps master. On bass music, you can't. You cannot on on trap. You can't because you're gonna change the envelope. So if hmm. I really wanna be no clipping, no limiting, um, minus two or minus one peak and minus 14 laps, well, I'm gonna change the nature of the mix. Your song will be will sound different because the, the, what we're doing with clipping is musical. So when you clip, sometimes what I do, I sum my kick and my 808 on analog, one, one of my summing in mono, and then on the way in, I clip that. And, and that's like a, almost like a, a glue effect that I'm getting, especially changing the note of the 808 when I go E to D. to, So they're gluing together in a certain way. Now, and then when I hit my AD converter that I'm clipping even more, now I kind of like glue the entire song together in a, in a stylistic way that I like it. It's just like it's modern is the way, you know, current stuff sounds like now, if you want to say, well, I want to capture now to have enough dynamic range to sound better on Spotify. Well, you might sound better, but you will sound different. And Mm -hmm. so if you do like a ballad, you do like a pop song, um, okay it's a song that has no drums and i got it yeah definitely you i don't i don't you don't expect to hear like a jazz song um be clipped okay but at a house track or like my my work i did a song uh, i mixed a song for diplo it's called on my mind that's quite popular right now and that is extremely loud when i did a, the the um, we did the version for spotify I tried, I was not able to do it. I literally say wow. that's that's Latin because it was changing the kick and bass relationship so much. it was pointless,
0: so it was hitting a higher uh, it was hitting luffs like like what was your target at that point? Well, so
1: that track sounds crazy. I mean it's like this song is like minus two point five wow. um, it's so loud then now, the only difference that I did for Spotify and because it was was capture minus four from my converter so without any plugin was getting that loud i lap in that way so it's the the spotify version yes 1.5 rms more so it's like from minus 3.5 loss, i went like minus five five or something like that
0: yeah Wow. I mean, so basically you have to you have to choose the destination. You have to choose the, sort of the song first and then maybe think about the platform secondarily. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right.
1: Usually here at Studio DMI, when we send a song for approval to a client, we always say, you approve the main mix. And the main mix sometimes is dynamic version, loud version. And we recommend the loud version... For festival use or DJ set use, and the dynamic is for everything else. And usually, it's about one about one dB RMS difference, one point five dB RMS difference. So not huge, okay? No huge. Yeah. And and um and then after they approve the actual master, then we deal with uh, whatever the song needs for streaming. And sometimes it's literally nothing. We recommend to use what they have. Sometimes we actually find like, especially on down tempo pop stuff like 100 bpm stuff um with vocals yeah sometimes we capture again uh with minus 12 minus 10 uh laughs for spotify works because we'll compromise tiny bit we retain the mix but we're gaining we do less clipping less less limiting so it's a case-by-case scenario right now
0: so what are your favorite ways to do this clipping process like maybe give me an overview of your setup and how you're using analog stuff for certain parts of the process and how you're using software tools.
1: Right. So um, the way usually I do, I I mix through my summing. I have 32 channels, which is 16 dedicated to synth effects and vocals, 16 dedicated to drums. Most likely I use 8 for drums, and I use two summing devices to do that. And then when I mix, I mix into... EQ and compression on my serial bus that is like analog, fully analog. I have a studio DMI EQ they built for us, it's fantastic. And I mix through compression and EQ, that's the sound that I have. Now, on the way in, I always monitor my mixes post-conversion. So through my console, I slightly clip my converter as a sonic um, impact to my mixes, and I listen after the clipping without any plug-in post just the clipping that it's like and i they become my sound and i mix through that when i get to the point that i'm commit to the mix and i'm going on the mastering mode the most likely is the next day i never try to mix end of the day and do the mastering stage i always try to sleep on it and go back the next day with different state of mind now usually my analog clipping It's a combination right now of a better maker limiter and the Dangerous AD Plus as a natural clipper and limiter because I'm literally pushing my converter over 2 dBs. So I do about 2 dB of clipping on the converter. I do about 1.5 to 2 dB uh, on the better maker. So I'm getting in. Essentially, I'm fine. Now, um, that type of Clipping, limiting from the analog stage allow me to have a reduced crest factor in the box, so my waveform looks bigger. In uh, short words, like, and I feel that I have less peaks to deal with. So right. my in the box, it's a mix of two clipper. I use standard clip first. I use a diamond lift. It's a plugin that we develop here, Studio DMI. Those two. One, as a technical purpose, which is I want to be the most transparent way to gain the level that I want. And I do 16, about oversampling 16 times, um, a linear phase mode. And again, I do a mid-side, so I divide and be able to eat only the mid. Um, and then, when I get to the level that I want, lift It's almost like the final touch of natural uh, mix of clipping and limiting. Uh, the the diamond lift has a different modes of clipping and limiting. And they're kind of like a mix of emulation of analog clipping from the converter with the internal digital clipping. And I find like a sweet spot between them. And that's my final stage. I try always, if I can, um, to do um, inter sample peak protection. And I use Limiter 6 for that. I find the most transparent one. I really don't like the Pro L inter-sample uh, peaks.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: it, it just changed the groove in some way. It just <clears throat> I don't. I'm not a fan. I find the limiter sticks is extremely transparent. So, and I try to finalize my master at minus zero point three all the time uh, to avoid the MP3 conversion will push up. And if I finalize a zero, most likely my MP3 is going to go up. Plus 0.1. And in general, between if you play your iPhone uh, strictly 0 dB, most likely you have distortion. If you play a minus 0.3, it's probably.
0: Is it going through another level of, another layer of compression and limiting through the iPhone? Doesn't the iPhone put some DSP on stuff additionally?
1: I think so. I I I feel like
0: I I can hear it almost in, I can really hear it in spoken word stuff or broadcasts where I was almost thinking, like, wow, are they using some crazy broadcast compressor but it, i started to hear it on different tv shows and movies and I'm like wait a minute it sounds exactly like they're using the same compressor but it's it's so it's the phone <laughs> it's, it's the it's ipad
1: the i agree and uh, and also a lot of people that underestimate the instagram that right now is very popular
0: yes it, yeah. and
1: surprisingly people still don't know the the instagram is in mono what this means is when you load something on Instagram, they sum in mono. This means your music is going to go up plus 4 dB. So usually we, when, huh. when I do a version for, for Instagram, I always lower minus 4 dB peaks. That way when you're being coded in Instagram, it's going to go up 4 dB if you're not distorting. So many Instagram posts, they have full distortion for that reason.
0: I was going to bring that up. Like, uh, it's crazy where you have stuff that's been mixed well and mastered and you go, what the hell? Like, it's, it sounds like crap in your, your little trailer, your recap from the tour video. And if, you're, if your video guy isn't aware of, of how to mix it properly, a lot of these guys, they just, they're editing video. They're not maybe sound guys. Exactly. So you leave, you leave extra headroom for, for Instagram? I do. It's and smart. why are they summing it? Is it just, the, it's just compressing? They're just trying to get a nice loud sound and have it be a, a smaller file?
1: Well, what they do, yeah, I think they try to minimize the use. And so the summing mono, I hope they will change it will change in the future. Right now, it's, just, it's almost like <clears throat> we analog you just summing mono, it does like left and right like this. So it's pushing 4 dB up. And so if you have a very loud track that is peaking zero, you're going 4 dB over. Um, that's not pleasant.
0: Wow. All right. So with your workflow, with the analog and digital stuff, are you, are you seeing though that one area provides a big advantage, like analog is better for, for this and more forgiving for this part of the process and that digital is better for this stage? Which What does analog do best? For me,
1: uh, heavy lifting, the way I can describe it in easiest way is heavy lifting analog, surgical, digital. So everything that I can control it makes m- micro decision, um, way better in the box, vibey stuff. So lift of low end, bottom and top, um, saturations, um, it's, it just still translates better to me on the analog domain. Um, to me, the big advantage, and what I try to explain is I'm using two ends, really quick to make one decision on analog something that i can do on digital right. so in front of me i have a three bay and i'm able to control my compressor control the top ends of my eq in one time so there's also a physical a feeling that allow me to mix faster so to me it's like mix faster trust especially heavy lifting a track that needs a lot of top ends if i do it with my analog eq seems and feels more natural sounding than uh, Pro-Q3 pushing you know, 12 dB uh, over 5K. Um, and uh, yeah, as far as compression, now with plug-in we're getting way better, so till like five years ago there was no way to have a plug-in compressor to sound as good as a piece of hardware, now we're getting very, very close. Even with EQ we're getting very close, the difference to me is the workflow again, and just like the, the lifting. And usually, when I do even basic mastering, my way of doing is like fixing things in the box first. So, resonance and anything that's like problematic, and I trust a digital EQ for that, and then gain some vibe and tone from the analog side.
0: And how are you recalling all these settings? So, if somebody wants to make a mix change, uh, are you, t- you taking pictures? I know it's the age old question. Photos. <laughs> photos. Yeah. So, we, so
1: um, we are two in the room here, and, uh, and Rob, my assistant engineer, he's constantly doing recall and notes. And recall is like, so photos of the three bays. On Studio One, that we're using as a DAW, there's a beautiful plugin. It's called Pipeline. On Pipeline, it's a way to go out of the, the DAW into the analog world and go back in with a plugin. You can even parallel. Plug-in with hardware with no phase issue. It's unbelievable. It's like the only DAO allow me to do that. And then you can take a screenshot, a photo, and upload the photo inside of the plugin. So one year later, which is super cool, I'm able to load the session of Morgan's song, and then on pipeline, on my kick drum, I open the pipeline, and I see a photo of my TubeTaxe L1B with the actual settings. So I just need to go there and recreate it. So that's pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. Oh, and back to what you were saying earlier too, in terms of being careful of stuff phasing with parallel, is there a best practice you use? I mean, you are saying Saturn had issues if you're in HD mode. Yeah. How do you know, I mean, you have to do it by ear, but sometimes you can't hear it. It might be more subtle. How, what do you recommend to, to producers and mixers to make sure that like, do they use a linear multibands EQ on you know, their master or what about the individual channels and the bus channels? Yeah.
1: I find myself, for example, let's talk about plugins that are very famous, like Fat Filter Pro Q. So, if I use the Pro Q3 on mono information, I'm less concerned for some reason. Like, I'm not worried about working, I'm fine working natural phase um, on anything that has mono information only, or let's say single notes. My concern is working on not linear phase mode when I'm dealing with a lot of information. There's a lot of Phase and out of phase information on purpose. So if I take big pads and chords on a trend song, there's a blend of so many decisions being made. Now I'm using an EQ that is not a linear phase mode, and then I do big like four or five dB peaks, especially that have like a, a, a very uh, close Q. I'm risking to change the phase shift. It has phase shift happening that maybe if you're not focusing on the issue you just don't know just keep going and at the end of the mix especially after mastering when you squeeze dynamics you're gonna feel that something is off so my recommendation is stay away from not linear phase when you're dealing with mastering chain big vocal bussing when you have like the lead vocal plus background and a reverb make sure you work on linear phase mode when you want to try to Reshape the total amount of information that you have on your bus. Less is a problem if you're working for like a kid drum or a bass or like a mono uh, lead. That's okay to work not non linear phase mode. You're not going to feel the effect much.
0: And is there any concern for producers? There's so many guys using Ableton these days, and I always wonder this too uh, with the stock EQ. You know, if you're using the stock EQ, should you be doing everything? like filtering with a low shelf and a high shelf to do stuff. So you have a little resonant bump, you know, at the root note, or should you just stay away from the stock EQ entirely? I, I like it because of workflow, but yeah. what about the Ableton EQ? Now they have channel EQ, which is supposed to sound a little different. What do you think?
1: Right. What, what I felt is all those EQ, they're not so much difference when you're reducing. I feel the biggest problem is lifting stuff up. Um, and, um, One mistake that I find myself, just a professional opinion, a lot of producers, they use multiple EQ stage when you have a no linear phase EQ doing a series of things. And then you have a compressor, you have another no linear phase from high-button light to do a shelf. And then you have another one doing this. So those multiple things, if you're able to just minimize and just do it from one single EQ, it's better because you're adding you know, phasing into phasing into phasing. Um I'm not opposed about the logic EQ or the Ableton EQ. When you do very small little changes, I'm worried about when I see this like big bump. Right. Um another thing that I notice, a lot of people they bad gain staging, they forget that even if your track is like you're eating minus two peak. And then you do very small decision, it's fine. But then when you take the mid range, you go plus plus seven. Now you're you start to go, um, you start to create distortion on the mid range part. Uh, Similar concern on the low end. Please, when you when you find the the part of the songs where the baseline is moving on the lower part, because we forget that it's a digital adrum. So. Not necessarily because you don't hear it, the dog, the doll was not affected. So this means if you have if you're pushing the 35 Hertz, but you maybe don't feel it because you don't have speakers in your room allowed to hear the 35, the doll will, and then you're gonna get distortion across the board caused by the first octave, like the C note at the bottom.
0: Right. I've heard some crazy stuff were in like RX, RX-7, RX-8, That where you can actually pull the fundamental down and to to keep it from clipping. Like I, it's the physics of sound that I have, don't even really understand completely. But do you ever get crazy surgical like that and actually change the structure of the sound?
1: Oh, so we use RX-7 we RX as well, um, just to like littering um, and post-production. RX-7 is so crazy, especially if you're able to deal with 32-bit Uh, floating file you can be so creative you can do so many little things you can make very small decision like i was able maybe a year ago to take the edges of clipping overly clipping of the transient not the entire transient just a portion of that things that you can do that are so crazy cool Um, and uh 7 is a fantastic tool Absolutely.
0: Yeah. The D clipper does some amazing stuff. And I think it's a really good point you brought up too earlier about, uh, having your stems at 32 bit, if you can, cause I know some mixers, uh, they'll be like, I'm one of my mixers. I work with they'll say like, well, you know, it's just bigger files. It doesn't make a difference for me for, but if you can, and it does take up more space, but if you can, a lot of people don't realize that you can pull the trim down in uh clip gain and Ableton or in pro tools. And it's like, boom, you can recover all those clips peaks. It's like a magic trick. Uh, and oh, I don't think anyone really explained that very well. I didn't even realize that. Ableton barely explained that. It's it's
1: crazy because it's like, uh, it's a way uh, almost like, don't be concerned. You know, imagine how much time you're saving of, hey man, you send me this is as clipping, it's distorting, you went too loud. Versus like, oh, don't worry, just pull the level down. That's it. So the 32-bit floating, it's so cool. And and the sometimes when we get files, they're like 16-bit to say, Man, do you have a chance to at least send 24 or 32? I was like, oh man, we sound the same. You No, know, <laughs> yeah. sound the same, but my intervention, what I can do, is way different.
0: Do you have any guys sending you higher res than 48k for sessions?
1: Yeah, 48k, it's a standard on the east of uh, the world, man. Like, pretty much everything we're getting from China, Japan, um, and the Taiwan and Vietnam is 48. Um, and Are they going okay. above
0: that? Huh? Are they going above that? Are you getting ninety six k or ninety six? It's
1: it's kind of annoying because um, it, it takes so much, and I use a lot of our own plugin. They they're very CPU, uh, you know, heavy, and I I don't want to deal. I'm fine with ninety six only on stem mastering or stereo mastering, but big session it's a problem. No, uh, on the pop word we had in the past ninety six k full stems that i end up put on rx and convert to 48 one things i recommend to always go f or whatever you're getting so usually if i get 40 uh, 96 i do 48 mixes uh if i do if i get 88 i go 44 um this is a mathematic not it's not i don't know much about it but there is an effect on that um And, um, yeah, 48 a lot. Now, for video purpose, the 48 is great. So when we're getting 48 mixes, I deliver a 48 master, and I do, of course, the 44, 16, and 24, and all the other versions. But there is a little sonic improvement, 48, actually. Not much a CPU concern of, like, 48, 44 versus 96K is problematic.
0: Things just start breaking, plugins start, especially like boutique plugins, I feel like. So, and and speaking of plugins, tell me about all the plugins you've developed and like, why did you want to start making plugins? Were you not happy with what was out in the marketplace beyond, you know, making, having branding and things? What was missing?
1: Right, so about three years ago, um, became a good friend with Italian uh, developer named Giancarlo. That is the corner of a company called Acoustic Audio. And um, <clears throat> I started to like follow kind of be very impressed about his plugins. And then um, for years and years I had like a go-to way to mix my stereo bus EQ was a combination of three different hardwares. Essentially one of, I was doing the top, one the mid-range, one at the bottom. And Giancarlo came for the name show and, and got the studio say, I show, you know, my, my sound and it's like well, what about if we just make us a plugin? So it triggered the idea to me. Hmm. Um, and I so and I start from there. I was like, wow, if we can do that, this means I can not only use on my serial bus, which is I still use the analog side, but I can use this on multiple buses and so we create a color EQ, which is essentially was three EQ in one. And we actually Frankenstein even that we make like changes that became something. Kind of unique, so um, the entire acoustica is based on uh, convolution, So it's sampling technology. It's like it's like a sampling. Imagine to sample like uh, a reverb, like a piano, you know. Just and uh, CPU is very heavy, but sounds phenomenal. So we created Color EQ three years ago, and at that point we kind of get hooked about this. It's like wow. What about if? We're we'll Go for clipping and then we did lift. It was kind of like the same concept about what is really essential here in my studio that I want to re- try to replicate. After that, the attention of our industry came in, they pensado, and a lot of people say, Wow, you guys have something really cool. I'm starting to get a lot of good support. And Black Friday of two years ago, we released a compressor with Greg Wells, it's called lift. And a lot of success, and Greg was so good, he has like EMI compressor, and a lot of compressors, so it took like six months, we sent the compressor to Italy, they sample so many ways, it came out fantastic. And, and then from there, this past Black Friday, we had released the Pensado EQ with Dave Pensato. and just the experience to work with Dave for like six months was fantastic. Um, he had this idea of going back 35 years of his career, and say, I want to get every best possible EQ that worked for me in the past and make it as a band instead of be as an EQ. So essentially it was my 10k from the, T, the Neve 101. Huh. Yeah, I want to have like the 16k from that one with a proportional Q. but the other one is going to be this with a shelf. So it was like a monumental work, like huge work to get it done. So much fun. And uh, yeah, and then now we're kind of like on the plug word as a passion kind of like type of project that i can apply and use every day but it's it, it started as a passion thing and and became you know a business side of, of our company
0: awesome and i know you were working on some you're you're kind of into gear from the 90s sort of semi-vintage stuff so tell me about that like when you're bringing in these new gear uh possibilities and different chains what are you what are you looking for how are you using this stuff
1: yeah, so recently, I mean for a long time, but recently I'm into lo-fi, cheap 90s gear used for creative pur- purpose. So I have a rack on my left side, you can see now, that I have like a Lazy's, uh compressor that has been modified. I have a Neotech 2-Channel EQ with the API transformer. I have a bunch of old stuff that I repurposed for reprocessed stems. So... And when I want to get a certain sound, it's just fun for me to go out of the box, yeah. process that, recreate a stem, Just a different vibe. Um, similar to doing like parallel compression, if you think when you have like your your source, your parallel, and you want to change the tone, I'm doing with that mentality when I'm kind of like most time, I actually parallel what I have in the box, giving a certain vibe. I have an MXR limiter that I love so much. It looks like Two months to get it sound right because those units they have the the, the the noise floor is ridiculous. Like,
0: so, what do you to get them right? What are you modifying them yourself or what's yeah. what's happening? Recap,
1: so we have we have two tech guy that we use to do a full recap. Uh, the most of those gear they have like twenty five years, thirty years. That kept, they're leaking and now this they sounds like they have a lot of noise floor. They lose dynamics, So we recap entirely. Sometimes we change a uh, power supply. We add transformers. Uh, the Neotech essentially is like the sound of pretty much all the major laser stuff. Also, uh, was there to have this like heavy, almost like saturated, the uh, transient that was coming from, from the Neotech, which is like, doesn't sound equally from the 90s version because as it's been, you know, uh, mod, but yes, um, kind of like that tone. And I'm using Danger uh, Liaison, which is a kind of like digital patch bay that I can, go, instead of going on a patch bay and physically patch in, which is we have our time to figure out what I'm what I'm listening, because the time that you patch, you patch out, you don't know. I have like on and off, really quick digital patch bay that allow me to really, almost as a plugging effect, but with the analog side.
0: Yeah, it's like it, that even two seconds, what is it? People say, oh, there's three seconds and your brain forgets it. I think it's even less than that. I think it's, it's half a second, it's toast. You don't even know the gain difference. I mean, because you're you're really diligent, probably about bypassing the plugins and making sure you're keeping the, the loudness, or at least bringing the the, the RMS yeah. down post, or post
1: gain, post gain at the end of the chain to make it equal after processing
0: equal equal to your ears in terms of how it sounds or or voltage level uh, voltage. So essentially,
1: let's say a typical thing is I'm eating my master chain and I go from B minus twelve to minus five. And then now at the end of my chain, I put like uh, a gain uh, plugin or I use my console. That's really, really cool. I can lower an A and B before and after the chain. I want to hear everything that I decide to do, compression, limiting, multiband, with the proper, with the same gain as before the chain. So before, after the chain, same gain.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, man. And it's funny with with all the, uh, the old school gear too. I've been using uh, the Elisa, the thirty six thirty, the old Daft Punk compressor.
1: That's what I have here. Oh
0: That's my god, it's insane. I mean, it's funny because if you go and search it, and you you pull up the forums, people trash talk it. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about.
1: Amazing, amazing. We have I have two, I have two, and and pff, it's unreal, it's unreal. Uh, so and it's so good, and even sonically. People think, oh, like 40 bucks compressor will make the track sounds like narrower. And th- no, no, no. It sounds really good. And it gives natural pumping. And yeah,
0: I just, I use the external audio effect in Ableton. I just bust stuff out. Something feels cool about taking Ableton tracks and just busting them out, bringing them back in. It's not even really summing, but no, I, I couldn't something. believe it. Everything, I always, I use the drum loop always to test stuff. And I'll just audition different sample packs through it. And I am like, "Well, wow, everything sounds better. You can do parallel. You can do it 100%. still sounds amazing.
1: Sounds so great. I believe. I, I, it's, it's, it's one of my things. I also use, I, I route through my gear. And I'm able to do mid-side the entire rack. So I run my vintage rack on mid-side mode. This is a big deal because now most of that gear, that one problem, which is left and right alignment, they are so old, sometimes you need to do like plus one or minus one to just make it left and right. So sometimes you feel a little weird because you're losing the stereo. Now, running on mid side, I have the, the, the laser compressor running. The left channel is the mid, the right is the side. Huh. So I'm also yeah. do the pumping more on the mid, less on the side
0: i gotta try that yeah it's just yeah, funny man. that I, I like that better than a three thousand dollar compressor that i had here and it was it was an ssl clone it was it's a different beast like this is an effect compressor
1: this is but, an effect this yeah. is like exactly people they because that's another thing the really IFI fi compre- the big expensive compressor they try to be so transparent to control dynamics for like use of like you have an orchestra you want to make sure that when you hit. it right and you have a spike of 10 dB, you retain that, you're compressing. When we try to do this, is the opposite. We want to create as a, as a vibey, as a groovy compressor. I have an SSL compressor in front of me, I do the same. It's just like I want to actually give the vibe of the compressor even more. I want to just like feel it.
0: Yeah. And I always wonder when I'm applying these treatments and making things more exciting, Like, is this going to translate to smaller speakers? Will it carry? So do you have uh, any go-to techniques for... Producers that that really carry beyond because obviously it sounds amazing on big studio monitors. Right. Sound big in the club, and someone has the you know the earbuds in. Does that can that stuff transfer or is it just a? It's an inevitable compromise that will happen.
1: It's a percentage-based uh, type of improvement. Like you have a you listen like a Duff Punk track from the '90s. I think you can have the same sense and feeling across any, any streaming headphones speakers. Of course, if you listen uh, on a club system where you have a dynamic range, you can feel more, but I believe that you should do it uh, in just, yeah, you're gonna have like a last percentage of perceived effect in certain devices. When I, I, sum, I listen on purpose, I have small speakers here, I have the Focal, they're really small, and by still feel a little bit, it's just like percentage base, a little less. One thing I want to I want some way um, uh, suggest for people like they don't have a super treated room, try to stay away to have the room sound. And how to do it is play very, very low. If you play super low, you're getting less return from the room. So And people say, well, how can describe low? Yeah, I can tell you it's going to be like 80 SPL but an easy way to say it is can you work and talk with somebody next to you <clears throat> without turning the volume down? If you can do that, that's a good way to <clears throat> measure to me a good a good level. Nice. Just like almost like a working environment. You work in a desk, you're in an office, you have music going, you talk with your colleague. If you can do that in the studio, this means you're minimizing the room sound, a reflection. And maybe reduce the dimension of your speakers and get closer to that. If you want to reduce essentially the room to come, come back to you and not an acoustician, that's a purely like experience.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good tip. And so moving forward, what, what else is coming down the pipeline? Like you've got, you have more plugins on the way. Are there any changes you're making to your setup and how you're working, especially in the current situation?
1: Thanks for the question, uh, Morgan. So, yeah, a lot of changes. Number one, <clears throat> as a as a company, Studio DMI, we have a concern, which is we want to make sure that people know we are not a nightclub, we are not out of business. So people say, "Wow, so this mean everyone it's home and you guys like pull the plug?" We are not. We have li- people say, "Hey, you're in the middle of the, my album. Are you gonna still working on it?" So first of all, we are hundred percent. So our team works. Remotely for the, the operation and administration side, and the engineers that work full time in this building as normal. Number one. Uh, two, we're in to support the industry. And uh, starting next week, uh, we are going to support the industry in a different way. Um, one is purely case by case with our core client to say, hey, you are like, you just lost 25 shows. We want to make sure that you have music out at the same quality level we don't want you to say i'm scared i lost so many shows i'm going to just do my demo mixes and put it out to just make sure that i'm relevant and the quality will go down we want to support them so we're going to extend literally credit, line of credit for our core client uh, to make sure we go through this storm um, that's very important from the educational side We're working on a system now to go and do online version of the workshop. It's going to be six episodes, once a week, one hour and 30 minutes. They cover the entire curriculum. It's going to be live stream, uh, private, essentially Zoom stream as far as the video. And it's going to be Audio Movers uh, plug-in to stream directly from my DAW. Uh, It's going to be a fully in the box um, workshop. As far as the plugin, we're going to release 3 plugins this here uh well, let's see how it goes. That's the plan. Our company is based in Italy, so they're working remotely. it's a struggle right now, but if you're staying on schedule, we're going to release three plugins: uh, two before the summer, after the summer, and Black Friday. Uh, I can't disclose the plugin because there's some like secret sauce on it, right. but um, <laughs> the good stuff.:
0: Great. Well, I got to mess with the plugins more. We got to get on a mix sometime soon. I uh, got so much new material coming out and it's all about that though. Like having those fresh years in the project, having somebody with, uh, you've seen so many different artists, so many different genres coming through with everything yeah. from like reggaeton to hip hop yeah. to house music. Um, great, man. Why well, don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, this has been awesome. Hope you had a good time.
1: I loved it. I loved it. Thanks. Thanks for the platform. I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, sharing the love, I mean, and what we do, it's, it's a bless, you know, so thanks again, Morgan. Great. Appreciate and
0: where it. can people find you online that are listening? Um, I'm very
1: active on Instagram. So at Luca Pretolesi, that's my Instagram. Um, and at Studio DMI, it's our company on Instagram. We're very active there. Um, StudioDMI.com and uh, Jacob, is the phase and the, the connection between 3DMI and myself. And yeah, it's we're still 100% you know, to support the industry.
0: Great. Thanks, for, Thank thanks you. for coming along, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mario. All right, brother. Take care. Take care. All right. So there you have it. My interview with Luca Pretolesi, uh, incredible mixing and mastering engineer. We went very deep into the details, as usual on Airwave. Uh, It was great to hear the inspiration behind developing his own line of plugins, his work process in the studio. Um, There's so much more that goes on to his mixes than I even realized and knew he was a technical guy. uh, But, you know, the extent that he thinks about every transient in the mix, every DB of loudness, there's a lot of thought behind that process. So great to hear some insight into that. Uh, You can see why he is a five-time Grammy-nominated producer. Uh, and it was great to hear some practical advice as well, things that could wreck your mix, uh, things like phase issues and how we like to spread out plugin processing across the bus. So great talk with Luca. Hopefully we'll have him back again. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time on Airwave. Airwave is brought to you by RME Audio. Innovative, user-friendly, and high-quality digital audio solutions, RME offers a comprehensive range of audio interfaces, converters, and mic preamps, all based around its unique and innovative core technologies. Multi-platform connectivity across Windows and Mac OS and iOS class compliance has earned RME a global reputation for providing support to all users on all platforms. Visit rme-usa.com to learn more. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.